0: The Old Testament lesson for this morning comes from 1st Samuel, the 18th chapter, verses 1 through 5. So listen now for the Word of God. When David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day, and would not let him return to his father's house. But then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. As a result, Saul set him over the army. And all the people, even the servants of Saul, approved. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit, Heavenly Dove, with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love, that it may kindle ours. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Frank met my father-in-law, Kurt, one day walking on the beach. They were two retired guys with time on their hands to relax and take each day as it comes. And they stopped to talk and struck up what was perhaps an unlikely friendship. You see, they had lived very different lives. Frank, the former president of the NFL Alumni Association with connections all over the country and Kurt, a family man whose life was devoted to the care and provision of his immediate and extended family. But in this stage of life, they bonded over the shared realities of retirement and spent hours at the beach bar griping about the women in their lives and shooting the breeze. And yet they shared in ways that they couldn't or wouldn't with others. Six years ago, this past spring, my father-in-law, Kurt, was diagnosed with cancer. And as his life neared its end, he moved home to Baltimore to be close to family. As hospice was called in and as the family gathered, Frank flew up to visit. And yours truly, Uber Katie, picked Frank up from the airport after several flight delays and Frank finally arrived. Kurt couldn't do much at that point, but I watched from the other room as the two simply sat together watching TV and holding hands, a scene that was intimate and tender and unexpected for two grown men. Frank being the good Catholic and Eucharistic minister at their parish in Florida had brought Kurt communion. They were aging men who met late in life, but they were the definition of deep friends. Kurt died later that day, and I still can't help but think that he was holding on to say farewell to his best friend. Looking back on those tender moments four years ago this month, I wonder if there isn't something holy about their friendship. It was the kind of friendship that involved intimacy and sacrifice and love, the kind that reflects the love of Jesus who would lay down his life for his friends, the kind that bound their souls together, like Jonathan and David. It was holy not just because they were able to share life and deep connection with another human being, it was holy because they could reveal something about the image of Christ in the other person. A free, self-giving, other-regarding love was poured out between the two of them. And yet these kinds of holy friendships are precious and all too rare. If this, has, this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that we aren't meant to live our lives in isolation. We are, by our very nature, social creatures, hardwired for connection, which is a huge part of what makes this time of distancing so difficult. While some of us have been quarantined in our homes with our children or spouses for a few too many days of togetherness, others have endured this time in relative isolation. But regardless of your circumstance, I would wager that the feelings of loneliness and the need for genuine friendship are something that we're all feeling right now. Our present attention to our physical health requires physical distancing. But we forget that there is a relationship between our physical health and our emotional and spiritual experiences of connection. Loneliness, studies show, increases the odds of heart disease, and research bears out that spending time and nurturing our friendships might be just as important to our health as eating right and exercising. Please don't hear me say that social distancing measures aren't important or imperative, to the health of the whole community. In fact, one of the ways that we're living out our God's call to love our neighbors as ourselves right now is by keeping a physical distance and wearing a mask. But especially in a time when our normal ways of interacting with society as a whole are curtailed, I wonder if cultivating genuine vulnerable friendships is actually an act of God's love. We need these kinds of relationships. Ones bound together not just by convenience or shared circumstance, but by an authentic shared desire to be drawn closer to God. We often emphasize marriage as the primary covenantal relationship that organizes our lives and our loves. And that deep, promissory relationship is important. The Church calls it a divine gift. But any of us who have been quarantined with our spouse, as much as we love that person, can attest that friendships are also God-blessed. David and Jonathan were this kind of holy friend. In today's text, we meet David as a young man whose life, whose very soul, was bound together with Jonathan's. David and Jonathan had plenty of reasons to be enemies. Jonathan was King Saul's son and rightful heir to the throne. David, on the other hand, had been picked out of a lineup by Samuel and anointed to be the next king, creating a major threat to Saul and, perceivably, to Jonathan. These two should have hated each other. David threatened everything about Jonathan's power and privilege. And yet these two were united by God. Scripture says the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David, and David loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him so. They were best friends, soulmates, even. If they were teenage girls, they would have bought those BFF best friends forever heart necklaces at Claire's and worn them proudly. But it was more than that, even. Their friendship was covenantal and holy, because God was at the center. The same God who breathed life into living creatures at creation, who made a covenant with Noah and every soul and living being, who preserved Jacob's soul when he wrestled with God at Peniel, that same God bound Jonathan and David's souls together in holy friendship. So what exactly makes a friendship holy? How is it different from the friendships we develop because of ease or proximity or circumstance? Caroline Simmon with Baylor's Center for Christian Ethics writes that holy friendship invites an intimate bond. Friends have insight into one another's true self. They share mutual affirmation, mutual self-disclosure, caring and sharing of activities and sorrows, along with mutual admonition and advice-giving. In short, these are the people who help to see that you were made in the image of God and call you to use your God-given gifts. But they're also the people who can name our sin and offer correction, who know how to speak the truth in love, in a way that we can hear it, and receive it, and respond. And unlike other relationships, holy friendship bears no measure of power over one another, but is a true modeling of mutuality. This was the kind of relationship that David and Jonathan shared. While King Saul resists abdicating the throne to David, Jonathan gives it willingly to his close friend and confidant. Before Saul even knew to be threatened, Jonathan gave the symbols of his future reign to David. He stripped himself of his robe, gave David his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt. Their friendship enabled Jonathan to sacrifice the things he should have valued most. And it leads us to wonder if David's strength in battle, the height of his perceived masculinity, has a connection with the vulnerability he shares with his soulmate Jonathan. His outward strength is connected to the sensitivity and intimacy he shares with his best friend. As the story escalates, and Saul tries repeatedly to have David killed, Jonathan becomes his best friend's protector, fighting for him, warning about Saul's plots, conspiring with David to save David's own life. There is no way that David would have lived long enough to become king had it not been for Jonathan. And at every turn, Scripture says these two soulmates pray together, that the Lord be between me and you, between my descendants and your descendants forever. Old Testament professor Ellen Davis says that holy friendship is a God-centered friendship. Holy friendship addresses the basic human need to draw close to God. It's something that David and Jonathan understood, but something that we often struggle to acknowledge our own need for today. We tell ourselves, I have friends. We text regularly and check in on each other. I would drop anything for them, but we struggle to put language to the need to share our desire to be close to God. Professor Davis argues that if worship enables us to create a space in which we open our hearts to God, then holy friendship is the complement to worship. If worship is working well, if it is creating an environment in which people are beginning to desire the presence of God, wanting to see more deeply into the mystery, then we need friendships in which that desire can be acknowledged and that mystery talked about. She ponders that over and above providing a few valuable social services or something we vaguely call community, Cultivating space for holy friendship is ultimately the church's purpose. And so even as our worship, virtual or in-person, draws us into the presence of God, it is not complete if we simply consume it and move on with our days. We need a holy friend that we can share our questions and our longings with as we seek to follow God together. Jesus, of course, knew this. His relationship with God, whom he called Abba Father, was holy. But he needed flesh and blood friends on the ground to share that mysterious joy of being close to God. And his disciples became those individuals. They grew in depth and understanding as they shared in ministry together, such that Jesus recognizes his disciples not as servants, but as friends. In his farewell address, having knelt and washed their feet, he says to them, I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. The love that they are called to share is that intimate, personal, deep love of holy friendship. Caroline D'Anafrio blogs about relationships and has written about all kinds of relationships from dating to breakups to living alone. But she recently blogged an article called The Love Story I Never Thought to Tell. She writes, I hold this truth to be self-evident. If I were eaten by a goblin in the middle of the night, my friend Anne is the first person who would notice. First, she would notice when I didn't respond to her middle-of-the-night insomnia text. She would definitely notice when, upon waking, I didn't send a selfie of my dog sleeping on my head. As the day ticked on, she would panic when I didn't partake in discussing whatever dating drama had erupted on the previous night. Long before anyone else sensed my absence, Anne would alert the authorities. Having been to a lot of friends' weddings, Caroline has grieved her lack of that kind of an intimate relationship that her friends often find in marriage. But at a recent wedding, it finally hit her. Love doesn't always look the way you expect it to. Sometimes it looks better. Holy friendships are just as important and God-blessed and, at times, covenantal as the marriages that society holds up as our central, unifying relationship. David and Jonathan would surely agree. Jesus and his disciples knew this. So I don't know who your Jonathan is, or who he or she might become, But I do know that these friendships do not emerge out of happenstance. They don't simply show up by luck. They emerge because of a willingness to be vulnerable with another, to name our hopes and our fears and our longings, to admit our loneliness, and to intentionally devote ourselves to the nurture, love, and accountability of one another. This past year, I have been blessed to be part of a clergy group through an organization called Macedonian Ministries. On its surface, it is a leadership development organization for clergy, the kind of thing you put on a resume. But this leadership isn't formed through attending lots of conferences or assigned readings or intellectual development. It's cultivated through my commitment to friendship with a cohort of other pastors. Among my group are pastors from multiple denominations across our city. One is a hospital chaplain. One works at a methadone clinic. One leads a multiracial church in southwest Atlanta. One serves the homeless downtown. More than half of them are black. And though we've only been together for eight months now, I have come to cherish their wisdom, their spirits, their knowledge and love of God, their undying faithfulness in light of the present struggles. They inspire me. I will be honest and vulnerable with you for a moment that I have struggled personally these last three weeks with what it looks like to be faithful to God in light of the racial injustice in our city. I am just beginning to peel back the layers of my own privilege and power. I haven't marched in the streets. But I have been able to bear witness to the pain and the struggle and the frustration and the hope. Of my holy friends in this cohort. And my black colleagues' willingness to share their experiences is a divine gift that has welcomed me into deeper relationship with God simply by being in deeper relationship with them. They have shown me love I don't deserve, and extended me grace when I've not been the witness that I could be. And their mutual affirmation and admonition invites me to consider what robe and armor and sword and belt I might need to give up in order for them to thrive. Because the nature of holy friendship requires a level of sacrificial love. This is an isolating time. Even some of the most well-connected of you have shared that you feel disconnected, out of touch, and full of longing. But perhaps that longing is a divine gift, calling us into deeper friendship with one another so that we might experience the presence of God. Perhaps that longing is a holy invitation to pick up the phone— or drive by a neighbor's house for a socially distanced porch visit. Perhaps that longing is a call to seek out a relationship with a neighbor or a colleague who doesn't think or look or act like you, but who longs for connection just the way you do. Whether it's a longtime friend or someone new, my invitation to you, God's invitation to you, is to seek out someone for friendship that dives beneath the surface, behind the walls we construct for our own self-protection, whereby, drawing closer to one another, we might experience the presence of God. May it be so. Amen.